Welcome to the Final Draft Great Conversations podcast. Today's Great Conversation features Angela Meyer. Now, the Final Draft Great Conversations podcast is all about books, writing, and literary culture. My name's Andrew Popel. Every week I broadcast Final Draft from the studios of 2SER in Sydney. At Final Draft, we're dedicated to exploring Australian writing, from debut authors to household names. Every week, we look into the issues that drive our storytelling and help you discover more from the books you love. These are the stories that make us who we are. Two SEL broadcasts from the lands of the Gadigal people, and I'm recording on the lands of the Darug and Gunungurra people. I want to acknowledge the traditional owners of those lands. I want to pay my respects to their ongoing connection to their lands, acknowledging that these are unceded lands, and treaty has never been made with Australia's First Nations. So today on the show, I'm being joined by Angela Meyer. Angela is an author, she's a book industry professional, a teacher of writing and publishing. Her debut novel, A Superior Spectre, met with critical acclaim. It gained a slew of prize shortlists, including the Aurealis Award for the Best Science Fiction Novel. Her new novel is called Moon Sugar. Miller was mourning the life she thought she'd have, a house, family, the whole suburban dream, when Josh arrived to shake up her world. Josh has a way of transfixing everyone he meets. Good looks, an easy manner, he just invites you to open up. Mila met Josh through Sugar Meet Me, and through their relationship, uh, though it began in a financial transaction, it opens up into something so much more. Together, they explore art and music, and take part in a clandestine study, just to make some extra money. Kyle is Josh's best friend, and he understands how special that makes him. Sure, he often feels like a sidekick, but because of Josh, he's growing, getting ready to explore the world. When Josh goes missing... Miller follows him to Europe to try and uncover what's happened, what she's lost. There she meets Kyle and together the two follow in Josh's footsteps and try to make sense of his final days. Join us as we discover the mystery of Angela Myers' Moon Sugar. Hello. Hello. How are you, Angela? Good. How are you? I'm very well. Welcome. It's so great to have you here. Thank you, Andrew. I'm really stoked to be on the show. Thank you. And this was, I, I'm, I'm going to say, I was, I loved Superior Spectre. I was hotly anticipating Moon Sugar and it, it both like surprised and didn't disappoint. I'm really happy to be sharing this. And we're going to let people know, I'm going to let people know at the outset, I told you off air, we're trying something a little bit different. Most books have things that you don't want to spoil. Uh, and Moon Sugar is no exception. We're going to start the interview with some really fun questions about the narrative. But for people that hang around, either uh, to the end of the podcast or for the radio, you're going to have to go search out the podcast. We are going to go deep into the narrative. So wait until you've read it before you get to that section. Um, I'm going to, I want to introduce people a little bit to Moon Sugar, though. Mm. So we have Josh. Josh transfixes everyone he meets. With his easy manner and good looks, people can't help but fall in love with him. Mila was mourning the life she thought she'd have, house, family, the whole suburban dream, when Josh arrived to shake up her world. But when Josh goes missing in Europe, Mila follows him to try and uncover what's happened and what she has lost. There she meets Kyle, Josh's roommate, and as he increasingly realises, he's the sidekick to Josh's superhero, or even Mila's. <laughs> Together, <laughs> the two follow in Josh's footsteps and try to make sense of his final days. 
As we get started, I'm just going to let people know that there will be um, brief mentions uh, about parts of the narrative uh, that deal with suicide. If this is something that you think, as a listener, you don't you don't need in your day right now or something that might be troubling you, you can tune out and know that help is available. You can call Lifeline on 131114. Um, but Angela, this is such an incredible narrative. I, I didn't quite know where to begin, but I thought the logical place would be starting with expectations and starting with longing. Mm. We have Mila. Mila is, is drowning under the weight of things that th- she thinks that she should have or maybe that she should be. And we are living in a world <laughs> where mm. diminishingly fewer people can access, I guess, the so-called dream life we're taught to strive for. You know, I guess the, the Aussie version would be the quarter acre block in a big backyard. Uh, I'm not sure that having um, a single narrow dream has ever served anyone well, but yeah. what, what, like, what did it mean for you beginning with Mila struggling against her mm. own vision of her own life? Yeah, I think as a woman entering middle age uh, and someone who had had a quite significant romantic relationship where I guess uh, she had sort of, yeah, swallowed the narrative of where it was going to go and she did genuinely want to have children. Mm. So there's a big heartbreak that happened when that relationship broke down. But it was for more than the relationship was for, yeah, as you say, the whole sort of idea and she's got this sort of best friend that's referred to occasionally who sort of has that dream. She's got the kid and the the house in the suburbs and everything like that. Um, So this is something a lot of people go through. You know, things um, don't just sort of take – yeah, like a one track in life and there's actually so many different ways that life can turn out and there's many different families that we can create. Um, and there are actually a lot of parts to herself that Miller hasn't explored before because she was sort of, you know, just in this relationship and seeing how it was going. Um, yeah, and she sort of finds herself um, alone and she's on the edge of being broke, I suppose, you know, she's renting, she's living in a city, she's got just an ordinary job. Um, She works as a Pilates instructor um, and a trainer and she, yeah, then Josh comes along and um, he helps to open some things up for her and think about the possibilities beyond what, you know, she had uh, thought were possible before. Um, And when he goes missing, it's just, it, it sort of opens the wound again, I suppose. Yeah. And she also has this factor, which is aging parents, which is another thing that, you know, um, we all sort of have to deal with at some point. Um, Well, if we're lucky, they'll, you know, get to an old age. Um, And yeah, so all of these things are sort of happening at the same time. And I guess she feels a little bit stuck. It strikes me like some of the things that make Mila compelling like some of the things that I think I drew me to her character and I think are going to draw a lot of readers to her character are also the very things that she sees in herself as potentially repulsive like she she doesn't want to be needing things but she Mm -hmm. clearly does she doesn't she doesn't want to say well if I can't have the dream that everyone else is talking about how do I forge a new path? And that's that's compelling in a narrative. But when we see it in ourselves, we 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 shrink. We need to shrink ourselves. We we are worried. Are we? Is this a failure of generosity on our part? Like, uh, how do you see this playing out in the world? Yeah, yeah. I think it was it was hard to write some of those scenes because it did make me feel a sort of a cringe um, uh, for her in a way that 
you know, she, her, her sort of naked and raw desires that she then didn't really want to share with anybody else. Um, because like a lot of people too, she probably, she, she feels she should have worked through a lot of this by now, you know, like for Christ's sake, you're a 40 year old woman, like, you know, you, you should be beyond this and she just thinks she should be stronger. And I think this is also part of writing her as a woman too, of just that narrative that, um, girls are taught from a young age as well of just sort of you have to smile to the world and you have to um, be pleasant and you have to be gentle and you have to take care of other people and um, that's just a patriarchal kind of norm I suppose that's that's embedded you know from a young age so she's fighting with that as well and that comes up too when she's exploring her sexuality or even um, yeah just some of the sort of adventures (laughs) that she wants to have Um, she again sort of butts up against this um you know idea of of how she should be and how she should behave in the world um but there are things of course that happen in the narrative that allow her to to free herself of that somewhat mm. <laughs> um so moon sugar it's it's firmly situated in a post-pandemic world or a Sort of post where we're at, at least. Yeah. They're saying it'll never end it. We're just going to get used to it. Um, did this sense of nothing is going to be the way we thought it would, did that emerge from sort of this collective trauma that we've all been through? Partly. I, I started writing the book um, before um, COVID hit, um, but I was experiencing a quite significant personal um, grief um, and 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 difficulty with a, an ill family member. And so for me, my world had already kind of been shattered and, you know, nothing felt like it was going to be the same again. Um, and then the pandemic came along and then, you know, I made the decision to write it as a contemporary novel and not avoid the pandemic, even though there were so many sort of conversations happening online about people not wanting to read about what was currently going on. But I quite adamantly wanted to have it in there because I think it's that and also climate change that, you know, we need to find ways of living with what is actually happening, you know, to us, to all of us, um, but affecting some a lot more than others, of course. Um, and yeah, so that's why I wanted to sort of keep that in there and, and make sure that, well, the book without sort of spoiling it, you know, it's not like a tragedy. Yeah. Mm. I'm, I don't mean this to sound like a genre question. It's definitely not a genre question, but I am fascinated with how works are dealing with the pandemic. Um, and undoubtedly, we probably will get some sort of pandemic writing. Um, but I, I really, like, I like the way you have accepted it. Um, did you... Well, you mentioned, I've, um, I've got a whole question here that I can't read because you've already answered part of it. Sorry. <laughs> no, that's okay. No, please don't answer the questions. Um, <laughs> I guess I've, I have spoken to other authors who have, have said, yeah, I started a narrative and then the pandemic happened. Mm-hmm. Um, it felt to me like elements of this story really did respond to what we were going through. I mean, how aware are you? You know, Do you have drafts that you can look back on and say, it changed. Like, what did the pandemic mm. do to the narrative? It definitely evolved um, over the the various drafts. Mm. Um, also, yeah, when I first started it, it was pretty much like a straight out thriller. Mm. But when everything happened, both with the personal grief and the pandemic, it um, it made it this sort of stranger. Um, uh, more expansive book, I would say. Um, I guess it kind of freed me up to 
imagine, you know, because there was so much of the time writing it that was spent indoors as well. And mm. um, I also got to, through the book, revisit, you know, places that I've been to before. So I kind of got to travel through the writing again, um, which was really wonderful. And all of it, I was thinking about, I was thinking about the reader, which, you know, a lot of authors when they're writing say you should get the reader out of your mind and write for yourself first. But I actually was thinking about the reader and I was thinking, um, I want them to be able to feel that adventure and that expansion and stuff as well. Mm. Yeah. I really like, especially especially like the way, because you did allow me to travel as well, I especially like the way you capture the fact that travel isn't just the highlights reel. Mm-hmm. Um, travel, travel sometimes is those days where you can't manage to leave the room because you did a little bit too much of the highlights reel the day before. Yeah, yeah, and then and you get bugs, and you know your travel companion might not want to do the same things as you, and yeah. So I wanted to put all of those little tensions in there. Mm. And of course, a lot of this travel, this is um, Mila and Kyle, who, as the narrative begins, they don't really know each other. They are drawn together by Josh's disappearance. Josh has gone um, gone missing in Europe, and it's been ruled a suicide, but they they just can't believe that this is what's happened because Josh was just so alive. In their reminiscence of Josh, we get we get a picture of someone who who seemed to instinctively understand and bring out connection in others. Um but rather like rather than this being an innate thing, you actually take us uh, a little bit we in flashbacks, you take us a little bit into Josh's um point of view. And how yeah. he worked at this. He worked at understanding people. He he observed, he responded. I mean, how did you go about creating this sense of connection, making it real? Is this something that you do? do was it a purely imaginative experience? I think because, like, um, people like that exist, you know. Like, I think that a lot of us have met someone who's truly special and really like a good person and brings other people together and is very generous and I wanted to honour that in a way. And, you know, he's a queer character and he's, yeah, I just, I wanted the reader to to love him and understand, you know, how he brought people together as well and, and why they would go on this big journey to look for him and find out what might have happened. Um, that, that had to be believable. Um, and, yeah, and in doing that, in creating him, you know, yeah, I had to think about the backstory. How does someone in the world we live in with everything going on and all the things that can happen to us personally and all the ways people can be oppressed and downtrodden and everything in their lives. How does someone turn out like pretty stable? You know, like I think that actually isn't something you always read in Mm. books. You know, everyone has like obviously flaws and things like that. And maybe it was even a little bit risky. My, my editor said to me at one point, she's like, does he need just like one more flaw, you know, like, and I'm like, no, I actually just really want to write this, this great guy. Like, I just want to write him like that. Um, so yeah, I had to think about this, the very stable, healthy kind of upbringing he had where, you know, he had this great mom who was very accepting, very warm, very affectionate and, um, because as an adult as well, he's very comfortable with himself and his sexuality and um, communicating with others, as you say. But like physically as well, he's just very comfortable in the world physically. Um, and that's not something a lot of people get to experience, but I wanted to write about that. Um, yeah, so that was him. And then with 
with Miller and Kyle, you know, I had to think of very different sorts of backstories. They're all very different characters, but then it had to be realistic as well, that there was a link between them. So there's also the elements, you know, that come in that are similar, that they learn about each other. I like, I loved it. It's a sort of, it would be an extract that I would love to pull out like moments where, where Josh is meeting with someone and he is observing, he is thinking and, and show to people and say, you can do this. And there, I mean, there are elements of this in Kyle as well. Kyle is a little bit more self-conscious. He, he feels more like he's going to fail than succeed, but they both are, are so careful and so considerate. It's a, it's a really interesting counterpoint to, um, some of the things that we're not going to spoil just yet in the yeah, in the conversation, yeah. but it's a really their their careful, considered practice of this is a really interesting counterpoint to some of um, the more, I guess, expansive notions of connectedness that you go into. I I really wanted to write both of those young men as mm. people in their twenties, like that. That to me is very true to me of people I know in their 20s, that the way that they've grown up in the world is different, even to Miller's generation. And I'm getting close to Miller's age now. Mm. Um, they're like, even though it's like two generations so close, you know, like they're like 15 years apart, these characters, but they're also so different in the media they've been exposed to, the conversations that they've had since they were kids, the the way that they've grown up in the world. And also I should mention, of course, that they both grew up in a city, you know, there's, there's lots of elements um, to it. Um, and, but yeah, like generally people that I've met in their twenties um, often just surprise and delight me um, in terms of how they view the world and the conversations, the depth of the conversations they're able to have about um, all kinds of things, but, you know, politically, socially um, and the awareness that like young men have of feminism and equality and all sorts of things. But, you know, I definitely still wanted to make it within Kyle. There's still like all of these little struggles going on. He still, you know, grew up in a patriarchal culture. There's lots of things he misses about Miller and um, her needs and things like that. Um, and he's, yeah, he's got this sort of self-deprecating thing that I also, you know, mm. see a lot in young men um, putting themselves down and not quite knowing their place and, you know, taking time to find that in the world. And he's just a sort of anxious guy in general. Yeah. Um, just from a storytelling perspective, we come into the novel and Josh is missing. That's that's sort of our introduction. And we we learn of Josh through Mila, through Kyle. Um, and it's not till I, I can't remember if it's about a third of the way or halfway through the book, you, you take us back a little bit in time and we meet Josh. And I really wondered about that. Like, was it hard to bring Josh's voice into the novel after spending so much time kind of building him up? Because, of course we can be built up or, or demonised in other people's eyes and it's rarely the reality of, of who we are. That's true. That's very true. But I thought I absolutely had to let him have his own voice just because of the um, the kind of character, you know, that he is that I'd built. Um, but it was hard. He was definitely um, probably the hardest character to write um, uh, because he had to, yeah, live up to those expectations of how he'd been um, envisioned by the other characters and for the reader. Um, but yeah, I hope I hope that it was successful. And so far, you know, people seem to be mm. still, yeah, um, liking him a lot as a character and understanding that, which is great. Absolutely. I just when when I knew I was um, listening to Josh, I thought this is 
this is bold. You have built him up. I'm really interested to see how how he plays out. Can he can he truly live up to? I guess how we've seen him. Yeah. Um, and I think you did. I, I think you did. I'm not going to leave you hanging there. I I really like it. That was why I specifically wanted to ask about um, more about him. We we started with um, with this idea of longing and expectation, and we're coming around to connection. And I feel like like connecting is something that we all like to play around with, but we don't ever quite get it right because we feel like we live in an age of connection. Yeah. Um, it's it's so easy in a way that um, it has never been. And yet in this age of connection, we see Mila separating herself from her loved ones, not yeah. because she can't reach them. Um, they can reach her, she can reach them from across the world. But because of these flaws that she perceives in herself, she she avoids, she doesn't want it was I think it was quite um quite startling. Her friend is Kate and mm. she is very much um I guess um curating what she wants Kate to know because she doesn't feel that she can connect with Kate on certain areas. Did you want Moon Sugar to represent some of that work that we do to mm. figure out how to love ourselves? Because that's really that's the, the difficulty that Mila has in making those connections. Absolutely. Yeah. No, I think um, there was a lot that I wanted to explore with her, um, the the barriers that she has and how some of them come from the heartbreak that she'd experienced and that she thought she'd started to work through. But those things can be so deep and can take a really long time, you know, when, when you're sort of shattered by um, an event, I suppose, in your life. So I wanted that to be a part of it. But it was also just things that had built up in her from over a long period of time and ways, uh, small, like ways that that build up of ways she'd been treated, um, also that she sort of had repressed her own sexual, her bisexuality, um, because she was in a um, you know quote unquote straight relationship. She was with a man, mm. and it just he didn't see it necessarily as relevant, and so she also just sort of put it away, you know, yeah. put it in you know pocket and forgot about it. Um, so there's a lot. She's just not 100% comfortable with who she is yet, um, and. Uh, but you know the 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 act the the sort of big act of like throwing everything aside and going overseas and um, for what might have seemed to others a, a flimsy connection. You know, she was he Josh is a sex worker. They became friends, but you know it was mostly like this physical relationship, this erotic connection that was very very meaningful to her. Um, and so, yeah, she's learning. She's learning about these things, these kinds of connections that are meaningful to her and that um, is going to allow her to let more people in and realise how much they have always cared about her and do care about her no matter what she does, you know, like as the people who love you most do. When I think about reading, why I love reading, why I love literary fiction and it, it comes to moments like this where – a, a story, a narrative, a character, we can stand at, at arm's distance from them, but yet see enough of them in ourself that we can have that little part of the journey together. And I really, I really hope for all the other fantastic things in Moon Sugar, I really hope enough people can see in Mila that there are things about themselves that they have to, you know, come to embrace in the same way that Mila goes through this process of, of learning about that because, 
this is a fabulous and entertaining story, but it's also really powerful in that way we connect with the characters. And I, I think it's more powerful when we are able to, to take that imaginative leap. Thank you. I really love writing character and I think that it's so important to me to um, write people who are, you know, that, that are, I don't want to say that are real, like it sounds really wanky, but that are, um, allow those openings, yeah, for the reader because they allow those openings for me when I'm writing it as well. So, um, and also, yeah, having contrasted characters, different characters um, that, when you put them together, you know, there are sort of these conversations that help all of them sort of move, move forward or take some step or, you know, um, it's the way they talk to each other. It's the way they act in certain situations. And then they're all opportunities for the reader to, to have a little in, you know, Mm. and then the moments of course, when they're alone and, and sort of processing things and what's happening next. And it's, it's things are coming together as well. But I always hope that the reader is, is either like one step ahead or one step behind, you know, and they're sort of Mm. able to, they've got their own sort of processes going on in their mind um, while all of this is unfolding for the Mm. characters. Those moments, you mentioned those moments when they're alone. And I just, that's also just so incredibly wonderful because of course, we're all like, we're, we're all going to have moments where we're alone and where we not are, not only are we alone, but we feel alone Mm. and, they can seem incredibly isolating, but again, but for that imaginative leap where we can see the character going through this and we can know a little bit more about what's to come. It, I, I think it just hopefully can give give everyone a little bit of a little bit of hope in those moments. I hope so. Yeah. Mm. Okay, Angela, I, I kind of love that right now there might be someone listening to this who has read Moon Sugar and is like shaking their fist at the radio saying why are you not talking about mm-hmm. insert the thing here? Because um, there's a whole aspect of this narrative that yeah. we're we're not hitting yet. Uh, so I want to start. I'm gonna I'm gonna ask about aspects of Moon Sugar that perhaps are best left to spoilers for the reader to discover. Don't tune out yet, dear dear listener. Because I'm going to ask obliquely and talk about yeah. a superior spectre. Um, mm-hmm. So sorry if sorry if you haven't read that one yet, uh, dear listener. In the superior spectre. A dying man uses a neural technology to fling his mind back in time and and mind visit a young woman in 1860 Scotland. And your fictional technology is this really subtle element that I think serves more to facilitate a a social human question rather than, I guess, occupy space for the sake of it. Um, When you work with fantastical elements in your narratives, how do you find a balance between the human and, let's say, the bizarre? Yeah, yeah. Well, the books, when they're forming in my mind, they always come together when this other element flies in and, and you know, opens in my mind. I'm like, oh, okay, that's the, the thing that's going to join it all. And I guess uh, it's the, it's an element that allows me to explore, yeah, lots of ideas, but to not be super didactic about them, I suppose. It's just that you can – it does something to the characters and their situation that means um, – you have to think about the consequences, yeah, for for people, for society, um, yeah. What would really happen if if this were the case? Um, so I really enjoy that, and I I absolutely blame being brought up on science fiction, watching science fiction with my dad, um, and also Frankenstein being one of my favourite books of all time. Um, 
and yeah, just I, I love that that extra element that comes in that just allows me to explore. Yeah, how how people would be if this were if this were a factor. I'm talking about it very vaguely, but mm-hmm. yeah, trying to bring both novels into yeah thinking about it. I love and I, you know, regardless of other people's opinion of Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, um, I just. I love that that people forget, like there's so many iterations of that character mm. that we forget that it is this incredibly human novel. And it, it is, is really, it is really just about being in the world. Um, yeah. Uh, and not, you know, you know, the, the next sexy costume that we're going to be wearing in 10 days time mm. <laughs> as of, as of the time of our speaking, not of, of the, um, mm. not of the broadcast. Yes, yeah, that that um, that uh, the creature, you know, yeah, stumbling around in the world and learning what human beings are all about and learning all of the bad as well. Like it's such a mm. beautiful and heartbreaking story. Mm. And connection and connection. Mm. Yes. Uh, I am speaking with Angela Meyer. We are discussing Moon Sugar, her new novel. And dear listener, this is the hard spoiler alert. If you have not read Moon Sugar yet, this is the point in the conversation where we are going to get to bits that you might not want to find out. Before you listen, you've been warned, tune out, bookmark, pause, whatever you need to do to come back to this after you've gone out and bought a copy. Okay, Angela, now we've, um, we've hopefully, we've given people warning. They can't say they weren't warned. Yes. To set... To set a lot of this in motion, a lot of, especially um, the ideas and conversation around connection, there are some pretty incredible elements. Uh, Josh and Miller have, as an early part of their relationship, just almost on a lark, become involved in uh, a a test trial, an experiment, uh, you know, the sort of thing that you do when you're at uni and you need need a few extra bucks. That's right. Um, And they they go along and they answer some questions, kind of bizarre questions, and then they take an experimental substance and that's it. Yeah. The... what do you want? Yeah, let's let's just start there. That, that's just an open one. Yeah. What, do you, what do you want to say about that element of the narrative? So, so they think, yeah, that nothing has happened, um, and and that part of it, um, I think. I, I even did a, a medical trial while I was writing the book. <laughs> just sometimes do a bit of a method method uh, research, um, and it was nothing like that. Of course, um, there was there was no strange questions and strange substances that I had to ingest. Um, but it was really, it was really fun coming up with that part of the novel. And of course the novel opens as well with, um, uh, sort of 20 years in the past and there's a, an astronaut sitting with a bunch of samples of lichen around him that has been to space with him. Mm. Um, and we don't quite know, you know, that what, what that's all about, but he's sort of grieving and he's looking his daughter out in the yard and, wondering what her life is going to be like and when he's going to share this very interesting secret about this substance um, with her. Um, Yeah, so that's sort of – there's a little precursor for the reader. (laughs) Mm. I I mean, I think one of the hardest parts of the the narrative to deal with is when you finally do the math and realise that, you know, 20-something years in the past was – the late nineties. I you, know, isn't it awful? I, I, I don't know about you. You you wrote it. You wrote it. So <laughs> I I am assuming you didn't have this moment of cognitive dissonance I'm about to describe. But somehow when you're when you're doing a flashback to an astronaut sitting in a shed, 
I'm thinking like kind of 1970s. Like or yeah. yeah. It's just, it, it had that real vibe. And then even, even to flash forward a certain character to then sort of go, oh, hang on, that person's, they're only in their mid to late 30s. That's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Gosh, we're speaking obliquely here. Um, now, the Xantharia lichen that sets this whole chain of events in place, it comes from beyond Earth. I warned you, everyone, heavy spoilers. Um <laughs> Where once this might have seemed fanciful, you play with it in a way that I guess is a little maybe more near future. Um, yeah. Like, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know if this, this novel is necessarily five years off, but also we don't know. Do you see the world catching up with fiction? Uh, yeah, look, I actually saw it as more contemporary. It's just almost like alternate um, present, you know, mm. and because I have the the sort of billionaire character um, and, you know, the, the two groups that are sort of that have the like and, and that we can talk about now because we're doing spoilers. Um, and all of this stuff exists in the world already. You know, there, there are billionaires exploiting their power and getting away with all kinds of things and doing things in secret. And um, some of them are true visionaries, but most of the time they have so much power that it is like how can – anybody check them you know like how yeah if if how can they know anymore what is good or bad they just like because the power mm. as i think i mentioned the study actually in the book that if people have have too much power they actually lose track of reality mm. um so that was something interesting i wanted to play with that's contemporary um and then also um uh i forget the other part that i was going to say about it but yeah that uh, it's definitely a little bit more contemporary for me. Um, I just, it's, yeah, it's alternate. It's, mm. it's not the same players we have in our world necessarily. It's, it's new ones. Okay. Um, and also that, that element is a little bit um, pulpy science fiction. Like I, it's, it's deliberately very fun. Like, and I want it for the reader to be fun to read. Yeah. 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 There's a, there's a bit of a sort of a, was it Scorpio? Is that the, uh, the, the, the bond organization that's always oh, shooting yes. lasers at his crotch? Um, yeah. <laughs> there is this, there is this kind of fundamental discordance between the faceless organizations trying to harness the lichen's power and what we come to understand through Josh and Mila, it's, it's manifestation as this, mm. this kind of connecting force Yes. Is that like, I guess speaking almost at a philosophical level here, is that a rift that you see in the world? Like, you know, we've got um, the, the the umbrella organization and then we've got humans actually trying to connect. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, there's, yeah, how they would see it being useful. Like, I mm -hmm. guess those organizations, one of them, um, you know, a billionaire who who has a history of, sort of disaster capitalism, like using things at the right moment um, to, um, you know, like coming in after a disaster and bringing out a product that's going to help everybody. Mm. And, you know, so there's that. And then there's the more cultish sort of organisation that's actually just like pure sort of consumerism. So they're looking for things that um, people are going to want to buy and, you know, join their sort of mm. sect, which has its own, um, you know, it's almost like a multinational company, but they've got their like offices in London, but they sell all their potions and stuff like that. Um, so they're looking, but you know, also for power, like the leaders mm. of that group are looking to have the ultimate power so that everybody will follow them, yeah. you know? Um, 
There's some real uh, solid. There's some yeah. real solid like adult idea like book week costumes there as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Amazing. <laughs> um, look, Angela, just just a, a small question to see mm. us out. Um, just a little one. Uh, Moon Sugar it, it broadly explores ideas of post and transhumanist thinking through, mm-hmm. I guess, um, the 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 way the the Xantheria lichen it it acts on um, Miller and Josh. This is a, a really live area in our modern mm. world, um, particularly, I guess, for futurists, but but also for you know in our everyday, you know, we we have wearable technology that is you know commonplace now. What are your thoughts on our seemingly inexorable momentum towards technological enhancement? Yeah, um, I think very mixed feelings. Yeah, and that's why it's something that I want to explore, um, and I want to explore the potential for enhancements. I suppose, yeah, to to genuinely connect or make or give us more intimacy with each other, and not just that, but with the world that we're like ra- quite rapidly destroying. You know, so I think. Um, yeah, there's potential in some of the things that are happening, but there's also um, this danger of things just traveling away from us and getting out of control and and us not being able to realize what we have mm. already. Like we have each other, we have nature, we have yeah, life, you mm. know. Um, so I think that's the that's the tension that I ex- want to explore a bit there. It's it it and it, it is so incredibly interesting, especially when you know I look at the different ways that technology can be used and acknowledging that that fundamental gap that exists it existed before that we see it in um, we see it in in wealth and power gaps as well that somehow having it there's a perception that you're you're advanced and that people who don't have it aren't and yes, I, I think yeah. dealing dealing with that disjuncture until until we live in a world that is you know idyllically and utopianly equal yeah. we we will always have to confront that absolutely yeah there's always that question of the haves and have nots and yeah who gets to get have access to this technology first and who doesn't and you know we see it in the whole movement of um climate justice, you know, the acknowledgement that um, there are whole groups in society that are much more impacted by climate change than other groups. Um, And, you know, that's just something we really, really have to look at in coming years. Mm, Absolutely. Yeah. And becoming, it, it, it strikes me that it's still something that is so difficult for people, even as, you know, climate tragedies that we used to you know, dis- not dismissed, but maybe seemed a little less, um, a little less real when they were far away in other parts of the world, are now mm. coming to our suburbs. That's right, and, That's, and yeah. like every every month, you know, like mm. it's just it's the this it's happening. It's here. It's mm. now. Yeah. yeah. I am speaking with Angela Meyer. Her new novel is Moon Sugar. Thank you for joining me, dear listener. If you are listening and have not caught the spoiler section, hunt down my conversation with Angela on the podcast once you've read it. You have been warned. We do go deep into all the incredible elements of Moon Sugar. Angela, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me. That's it for this great conversation with Angela Meyer. Angela's new book is Moon Sugar. It is out now from Transit Lounge. Stay tuned. There is actually a little bit of a bonus on some of the other book industry work that Angela has been doing. That's going to be coming up in the next day or so.
Great Conversations is recorded on the lands of the Darug and Gunungurra people. The show is produced and presented by Andrew Popel. Stay in touch. You will find Final Draft on all the socials. Just look for at Final Draft 2SER. Subscribe in your podcast app. It means a new great conversation and all the bonus materials every week. I am Andrew Popel. I will be back next week with more great conversations from incredible Australian authors here on Final Draft. Till then, happy reading. Bye now.